Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in today to episode 80. This is episode 80. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, with my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, it's been a busy week this week, man. How's it going on your end? Yeah, been good, been good. I uh, got to meet with a listener, and I uh, had lunch with a listener on uh, Wednesday or Thursday. I can't remember now, Josh, but uh, that was, I think it was Thursday, but I had fun uh, getting to do that. So thank you to the listener who made some time to have lunch with me. Enjoyed that. Picked up the beautiful gift basket, which we have the winner I'm about to announce, from Rodney Strong Wine. Be sure to leave a rating and review in iTunes. Um, we we're drawing this one on October the uh, October the twelfth, so our next drawing will be looking at here for uh, November. Let's say Josh, we're gonna do. Um, let me see here, November sixteenth. So November sixteenth will be our next drawing. Um, so if you've left a rating review, you are entered to win. If you have not, go ahead and do that. But horns seven eight two zero nine. Horns78209 is the winner of this month's Rodney Strong gift basket. I'll try to get a picture of that on my LinkedIn, so you can connect with me on LinkedIn, and I'll try to hook up a picture um, of the gift basket and maybe the winner or whatever um, on LinkedIn um, next whenever I get to deliver it. The rules are, remember, if you are within a reasonable driving distance, so we kind of laid that out before, um, you are eligible to win, so Horns, if you are, you've won it. Um, also, you're entered to win the VIP Tour uh, in Sonoma County. And so if you, you had to pay for your own travel, but once you're out to Sonoma County, California, you can go to the Rodney Strong Vineyard and you're entered to win that by leaving a rating and review in iTunes. And thank you so much for everyone who's done it. You guys don't know. It really, really helps the show and we really appreciate it. Yep. And speaking of the ratings and reviews, Ryan, since, uh, since last week, we've got a lot of feedback and reviews that have been coming in. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I wanted to go back to, I think the last one I here comes from October the 5th. This is from SRB7777. Um, the title of the review was a great commentary on current topics in oil industry. He's a new drilling engineer, and this is a great way to keep updated on current issues in the upstream oil and gas industry. So, uh, yeah, we try, to, we try to get good information, run and, and keep everything up, you know, breaking news that's coming out. And I think another guy, uh, Bob0174, says a great informative show. Williams, I've been listening to this podcast for about four months now, and they always deliver with something either interesting facts or laughter and just overall quality of content. It's a hard thing to do these days with podcasts. There's so much out there. Keep up the good work. Greg Williams, Rig Links. Former Appreciate guest. it, Greg. It's always good when the guests come back and leave a leave a rating review. Be sure to check out the uh, the Rig Links app if you haven't. Yep, I've uh, actually been looking into that, Ryan. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that app. I think there's uh, tons of potential with yep. it. Yep. Patrick Pister, uh, very informative news and information. Great oil and gas podcast. And as the host of the Oil and Gas HSC podcast, I know how much work goes into putting out quality episodes. Uh, the Texas ONG podcast, the Texas Oil and Gas podcast, discusses relevant news from the oil field and provides great commentary about what is going on in the field. I'm a little biased, but really enjoyed the discussion on water issues in the Permian on episode 78. Keep up the good work. Yep, and real quick on that, Patrick, I think, is going to come on the show here Hopefully the next couple of months we're trying to work out some cross-promotion with those guys. And uh, he's the one who set up the Eric Waters interview. So thank you, Patrick, for that. Absolutely. And then we have two more, Ryan. Matt, TRX, 
or Matt RTX. Uh, very informative podcast. I found this podcast a couple of months ago, and I'm very happy that I did. I work in energy transactions, and listening to this podcast has been a great way to stay abreast of what is occurring in the industry. And the last one, Lee Dinky or Lee Dink, however you say it, uh, Mr. Lee. Concise source of information. This podcast is a great source of news and analysis. It's up-to-date and actionable. Thanks for putting it together every week. Yeah, so good, that, to, th- good to see Lee. I see Lee on LinkedIn all the time interacting. So, Lee, uh, thank you for the rating and review. Um, I appreciate it. And I know you are an Android user, so you went above and beyond. So I really do appreciate that review right there. Yeah, that and you know the what he said there, that some of the news is actionable. That's one of the goals that we have, Ryan, with our Texas Roundup, where we try to pull in new ac- mergers and acquisitions and things that have happened in the industry. We try to some things that are actionable so you can take action on mm-hmm. it maybe give you a you know a leg up in, in a discussion or uh, a sales meeting or you know conversation yep and that reminds me josh uh 318-599-9192 318-599-9192 you can send a text or leave a voicemail uh, and let us know you know questions comments things you want us to cover um i was talking with the listener last week and he had some ideas about some stuff that we've never really looked into from that perspective and it was kind of interesting to hear um and, and try to figure out how we could work that into this show or maybe a different show um so 318-599-9192 that number will be in the show show notes um just make sure you say it's for the texas oil and gas podcast because it does go to the energy week podcast as well awesome well ryan mentioned uh we mentioned water we had the guy on to to speak about water and patrick pister and um we are some news came out this week ea is weighing uh the option of possibly pumping wastewater into rivers and streams this is was released on october 15th and, uh, and, you know, I'm curious as to exactly what they mean by this. And, and I'm, I'm uh, a little bit skeptical about some of the uh, who, where, where the sources are coming from. But I, it's definitely interesting to think that there's a possibility that they could um, pump this water in a way that they could actually recycle it and make it safe, uh, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's something that, you know, it, this, this would be a fantastic option because I think the statistics are, or the numbers are, that for every – barrel of oil there's four or five bottles uh, or barrels of, of wastewater so it's uh, a pretty pretty big you know hurdle to in production because it's so much waste and things that they have to get rid of they're going to spend a lot on, on you know trucks to get this water in and out um, and so not only did the water they need to drill is the issue this is actually the water once they actually produce the oil of what to do with it once they once they've used it it becomes very difficult yeah, so there's a couple things here. According to um, Mr. Craighead, I don't have his first name here, with the Railroad Commission, he says, because of overpressure, uh, pressurization and concerns about seismicity, we are limited where we can permit injection wells. So that's one problem here, is that you're dealing with how much can they put back into the earth, if you will. Um, so that's going to be an issue. It, it, and maybe this is kind of a play where you look at it and say, you know what, we really want to put it back into the earth. Um so we, we, we kind of say, you know what, let's let's try to give it to the rivers <laughs> so you can get those uh, those permits uh, more, more uh, uh, some of words here, uh, more likely to be approved or um, uh, less regulation in those areas. So it could be something like that. You know, here's the deal, Josh, and, and we, we, I know we've got a water guest coming on today. I don't think this is their area of expertise, but here's, here's something I would say about this. Um, I was at a, 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 not a town hall, but a meeting one time with a city mayor. And he was answering questions about, you know, how his day was going and yada, yada. But before he did that, he gave a long lecture 
about um, the aquifer in the area that this, this, this town's at and how the aquifer was constantly lowering its water level every year. And then, the, and then he said, you know, we, point to the citizens, um, we have to fix this issue. Um, and he, he then says the local paper mill takes out more water than the annual rainfall puts in, or uh, yeah more water than the annual rainfall puts in or something like that so you had three numbers you had what the what the average citizens is taken out of out of the aquifer what the local paper mill was taken out and then how the the rainfall um you know would, would replenish the aquifer and so the citizens were taking out less than the rainfall but the mill alone was taking out more so if the mill went away in theory the aquifer would rise because the citizens you know weren't taking out that much water. And I, I think as we look at issues like this, we have to be careful because it was frustrating leaving that meeting that day because the mayor was basically telling the citizens, hey, you guys have to figure out how to solve this problem. Well, it's pretty simple. The mill is the problem. It's not It's not us. <laughs> it's the mill. They're the ones who are tapping this water level down. Um, and so I think when you look at issues like this, we have to sit back and look at it like that. And, you know, you know, we've made it very clear our stance on government regulation and stuff like that. Um, but when we talk about wastewater and how to fix it, the industry itself has to figure out how to do this the right way. And, you know, I know there's a lot of uh, debate about, you know, are those injection wells causing seismic activity and stuff like that? Like we've talked about that some. Um, there seem to be plenty of reports that say no and plenty of reports that say, yeah, I'm kind of skeptical of the science that say that it is. But um, the industry is going to have to figure out how to do this. How can they put this back into the rivers and streams and it be clean? Um, they're the ones that have to do this. Because one of the problems here that I had with this piece was the railroad commissioner guy says, um, I think he's a railroad commissioner guy, he says, well, you know, the cost of transporting it is too expensive. Okay, well, here's here, and, and we're pro-industry. Again, let's say this, we're, we're, we're not some crazy environmentalists. We're pro-industry. But the, the alternative is, is what would the damage be if you put it in the river or the stream? And I, and I don't know that answer, Josh. I'm not going to act like I do. You don't either. You're not act like you do. But it's if the cost is too much, um, then, then, there, then that's a problem. I agree. But it's also the industry's job to, to help solve the problem. Um, and I think what we're going to see is, as we talked about last week or two weeks ago, there's $300 billion that's had to be funneled into the Permian over the next, whatever, three to five years, whatever it was. These are some of these are some of the problems that we're going to have to solve. And the industry is working on it. So I'm confident they can solve it. Um, I'm curious how serious they are about actually using this or if it's a ploy to get more for the injection wells. Um, but I will say this, that it's something the industry will have to solve. They are going to have to make it clean. And... Um, I think the injection wells is the easy way to go, but um, again, that's kind of out of my realm of expertise. But I don't know, Josh. To me, it seems like, hey, um, you know, if it's too expensive, then it's too expensive. But that's y'all's job to figure out how to cut the cost. And if the government, the final thing is, if the government bureaucracy is killing the, the industry, then we have to figure that out. But we cannot get in a situation like I said with the with the paper mill, where the paper mill is really the problem, and you're blaming the citizens, and and they have to suffer the consequences. Well, you know, Ryan, um, the, the cleanliness of the water is the key here. There's a, a little quote in here where it says, treating wastewater and then pumping it into rivers or selling it to farmers to irrigate fields would provide a much-needed alternative. For now, the technology still can't treat drilling wastewater economically, but that could change soon. It goes on to say that they could produce up to 27.5 million gallons of fresh water. And here's another thing from the EPA. What will really reduce the timeline is if the EPA actually comes up with the discharge standards and give people an incentive to develop these technologies. So not sure where I'm at on that, but I, I do think that um, if the technology is within reach, if it's something like how difficult 
is it to to process this water? I, I don't see it. I mean, if it was like nuclear waste, I would see it. Okay, we this would be very expensive, but it doesn't seem that it would be that difficult create some sort of filtration system that would get it up to standard where it could at least be used for farmers, like just irrigating crops and, and things of that nature. Maybe not drinking water, but um, get it to a standard where they could use it for, you know, farmers. I mean, and, and just in Texas alone, that would be a huge, um, a huge opportunity to, to use the water in a way that's economical and uh, cost effective. But, you know, that that's the question because there may be, like you said, this is not my area of expertise, this brackish water it has all this waste in it it may be more difficult than i realized to you know to get it sanitary or at least up to up to a um a basic right level of uh, acceptability right but but you make a good point there josh is yeah maybe you can work for the farmers maybe you can't you know we're not saying either way but i think that that, that idea is the right idea is that there are people out there we know in the industry who are trying to solve this problem because they're going to make a lot of money doing it um mm. and so that's then that's what we need to see. Um, until then, we just got to make sure that um, we look at it and say, okay, how, how does the industry best handle this? And again, I'm not, I'm kind of like you, I'm not sure about the river. And, uh, you know, uh, that was part of, in, in that case, uh, with the paper mill, I'll tell you about it as well. That was part of the frustration too, was the paper mill was the worst pollutant of the local river. And they, they whatever they're putting in the river, they couldn't actually clean out because it went and mixed with the water or, you know, whatever it was. <laughs> it was like, these guys are the problem. Um, I understand why the mayor wanted to keep them there because it's a lot of jobs and stuff like that. But, you know, it was just funny. Hey, citizens, solve this problem. In this case, I think it's going to be a mix, Josh, of the industry is going to try to solve the problem, and the government, the government regulation has to be uh, you know, within reason, right? There has to be, has to be within reason. Um, but I do think you're right. You know, it, you know, maybe farmland it can work for, maybe not. Um, but something like that where we can reuse the water, or maybe it's just the injection wells. Maybe you just figure out, you know, we can say, hey, it's not causing earthquakes or or whatever. Um, but it's going to be interesting to watch, and, you know, someone's going to make a lot of money once they figure it out because uh, all these big companies will go to them if they can figure out a cheap, easy, and effective way that gets the government off their back to get this done. So if you are an entrepreneur, um, you know, a business guy, this might be a great opportunity for you. Hey, Ryan, look, I'm uh, sorry to bring this up, man, but uh, something just came back in my memory about a show we did. I think this was like the second or third episode where – these people uh, used um, props from a nuclear plant to build this fence on this ranch, on this like oil and gas ranch. Oh, and yeah. They, remember when the, the guy said that uh, he wouldn't be surprised if the animals were glowing green. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I'm just thinking, man, using this wastewater, you know, I didn't tell what kind of, <laughs> what kind of tomatoes are going to be grown on that joker. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> I forgot about that story. <laughs> Dude, yeah, it was the craziest story. But they got sued. It was it was yeah. It was it was a quite an interesting story. Anyway, uh, back back to topic, Ryan. There's a an article that came out this week about uh, that you know the Epic Pipeline. We've been talking mm-hmm. about that for quite some time. But they're planning to convert a natural gas pipeline to carry crude oil to help with this bottleneck issue, so that they can get back to production. Um, you know, a little ahead of schedule on what they were anticipating. And Ryan, I've been looking over this thing, trying to see what date uh, that that transition, that conversion is going to happen, and I can't find it for the life of me. Uh, is this going to is this going to give us a much time at all compared to what we were thinking, you know, at the end of 2019, or is it basically just giving us a little bit capacity around that same timeline? Right. Yeah. So we had we've talked about this. These you know they got these two big epic pipelines, and you know it kind of gets confusing. 
Which one's which? Um, so here's what I think this is going on. Um, I, I I think Josh, this is the we had Sergio weigh in on this for us a while back, and I, I can't I can't remember. He he helped line us out, and I done forgot already. But I think if I remember correctly, the natural gas one was the first one they did. And then they announced the crude one. And so I don't think the crude one is going to be done until next year. And so they're going to go ahead and temporarily convert this um, to, a, to, a, uh, to a crude one to help, to help, um, free, uh, to help uh, ease some of the, the, the bottleneck problems. I think that's what, what, I, what my takeaway here is. Um, and then eventually they'll switch it back probably to, um, Natural you know, gas. To natural gas. That's my understanding, but you know, maybe Sergio. I know uh, when you listen, maybe you can text in here and clarify it. Regardless, it's interesting to see that you go and you build this big, huge pipeline, and then you say, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna go ahead and put it in this crude oil production, um, at least temporarily." That just tells you what kind of demand there is to get this product out of the ground and onto uh, into refineries and whatnot. Um, so, it's an interesting story and a good catch by you by uh, coming across that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I'm looking at it, Ryan, and and I'm just the the, the key question I have that I want to maybe we could reach out to somebody next week. When is this thing? When is the conversion going to go live? Like when are they going to be able to start using it? Because I'm looking at it saying that it's going to give some relief until late 2019, right. which I suppose that's when the, the other, other one's other coming on. Pipeline. Right. All right, exactly, exactly. So when is when is this one going to be live? I mean, it it could be could, could it be live by you know the end of 2018? Could it be live by you know by mid November or or are we looking at you know, earliest maybe being March or April, which is still a huge financial opportunity for Epic, you know, the, the pipeline itself, because it would give them several months with nobody else in the market to, you know, to handle this. Yeah, it's a this seven, issue. I mean, it's a 730 mile pipeline. So, you know, it's a long, long thing. Um, let's see here, Josh. I found another article on this. Um, yeah, see, this is talking about, again, late 2019. Um, it's just giving you the relief, the date until it, it's kind of the the date right. that it's going to stand in the gap for. It doesn't right. tell you when it's actually going to. So. And maybe they don't know. Maybe they just announced it. You know, another question I have, Ryan, would it would it surprise you if if they just left this one as a oil and gas and then converted the other one to the natural gas? Well, oil no, I don't. Yeah. So let's see here. Um, no, I don't think they're going to do that because they're going to have contracts. They're going to have takeaway contracts, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah. Okay, okay. No, I, okay. Here's a different piece, Josh. Okay, so here's what I think's happening. The crude pipeline is not to become in service until early 2020. So this one will come into service late next year um, before the crude one. And so they're going to put crude through it until the other one comes on in 2020. So, okay. uh, that, so we got another year still. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, so we got, yeah. If, if I'm reading that correct, and if you work uh, on the project, you know, 318-599-9192, or hit me up on LinkedIn and be sure to correct us because we want to get it right. But that's the way I'm reading it is. Um, I thought it was backwards at first, but now I, I think that's what's going on is that uh, – um, yeah, it's going to be um, 2019 for this one and then 2020 for the other one. But, yeah, they're going to have contracts for an open season. That's going to be the question I'm curious about is, um, you know, how do they get around, you know, the obligations for the, that 730 miles? And maybe they didn't have enough. I haven't looked at it. Maybe they didn't have enough commitment compare, uh, carry, uh, capacity to make it a big problem for the for the natural gas. But it's an interesting story, and uh, like you say, um, you know, I guess there could be a path to them keeping it crude, but I, I don't think so because I would imagine these contracts they got are going to demand that they take away this natural gas. So, 
Yeah, I didn't think about that. I remember we uh, had, you know, they we actually published some of the contracts that they had, yeah. you know, up front, and uh, yeah, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to meet those demands unless there's some sort of way of getting out of it, which I don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. Now, Josh, I know you have to run earlier today, so I'm gonna have, we have two guests, Ben Ritchie and um, and uh, Jose Ortega coming on. But why don't we go ahead and do the text the uh, drilling rig count or whatever it is, and uh, wrap it up, and then I'll close out the show after these two gentlemen. Um, come on for us today. Okay. All right. So the rig count was at 1,148. Uh, so it was up a good bit before, you know, since our last show. Uh, and just for the record, we were recording on a Monday. So it's a slightly different day that we normally uh, get that number. And, uh, and Ryan, I want to say too that I'm going to put in the show notes a, uh, a link to a article um, on Seeking Alpha that uh, looks at Magnolia Oil and Gas. It's a company that was basically an offshoot from uh, Oxy. And they're, they've they been making some Eagle for plays, and it looks like you know they got some second quarter uh, earnings released and uh, some cool information. They're uh, based out of Houston, and if you want to check them out, there'll be some information in the show notes if you want to take a look at it. Okay. All right, well, we'll get on the guests here in just a second. Josh, good to have you back, and we'll be back uh, next week. No guests, regular program with me and Josh uh, holding down the fort. I'll be back in Louisiana to record that show. So, uh, again, rating and review. We're going to have these two guests on, then we'll cut the music, cue the music after that. So, rating and review on iTunes. If you're curious about what the basket looks like, find me on LinkedIn, and as soon as I meet up with Horns78209, then I'll post a picture. So, Josh, good talking to you, buddy, and we'll uh, get the guests on now and get you back next week. Hi, man. All right. Well, up next we have Jose Ortega, who is the VP of Water Sourcing and Land at Terra Oilfield Services. Uh, Jose, how's it going today? Uh, it's going fantastic. How are you doing? Good, man. Good, good. Sorry, just let everybody know you've been exceptional to deal with. We had to cancel uh, because of Josh being sick and reschedule. So I appreciate you working with us on that. But uh, before we get into um, the issues that we're going to talk about with water. Um, Talk about what you guys do at Terra and kind of set the table for how you play into this piece that we're going to, we're going to talk about today. Awesome. Yeah. First, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I appreciate listening to, to the show, you know, over the last couple months, just kind of getting my feet wet, you know, with Oil & Gas Podcast. So thanks again for having me. Mm-hmm. Sure. So Terra, we're a, a transfer company, water transfer, uh, recycling treatment and sourcing. Um, the company got started in 2007 by Stan Peach. Um, later revamped, hired us, McGowan uh, Patrick as a CEO. Um, and now I'm really excited and you know, having an advantage uh, position in, in the Permian, specifically in water, which has been a big, a big topic um, coming in now with the increased activity over the last couple of years. So uh, my job in particular is to do water sourcing. So I, I sit down with landowners, um, our operators, our clients, you know, transferring for over 40 operators in the premium basin and specifically what we do is we solve problems so anything water related with with, with treatments um, produced and and fresh water okay yeah it's funny that you that, that this kind of worked out because one of the stories that josh had on and like i said he's kind of under the weather so he couldn't get on here with us today but one of the stories he had was um you know oil and gas industry right now is petitioning the epa to allow them to put um 
their their frack water, if you will, into rivers, uh, rivers and streams. We're talking about that. And, um, you know, w- one of the things that Josh and I said when we look at this problem with getting getting rid of the, the wastewater and disposing of water and how we're going to handle water is it seems like um, – the first problem is is the injection wells, and there's a big debate over whether the injection wells are causing seismic activity or not, um, and so they're limited on what they can do with that, and then that, that parlays into um, trucking expenses and you know and getting it out that way, which then leads producers to go, hey, well maybe we we'll, we want to use the rivers and streams. Um, kind of break down for for the audience for someone like myself who's not in the water business. Um, you know, what's fact, what's fiction, what's going on with the water uh, from the usage side to the recycling side? Just kind of walk us through the value chain of water and some of the bottlenecks that you guys are seeing out there. Absolutely. No, that's a great question. So, um, yeah, I think it's really important to first think of the Permian as kind of having its own geomarkets, right? So um, having water cells, speaking about producer disposal in Lee County, New Mexico versus the Midland Basin, mm-hmm. it's it's it, it behaves completely different. So if I could really categorize the way that I kind of like to think, you know, skinning the cat in the water business is I, I kind of have three, three different factors, right? So the first one is water scarcity, how much water is available? Um, what's the quantity of produced water that's on surface that needs to be managed, right? Number two is regulation. Um, and three would be um, landowner consolidation, right? So, the Midland Basin acts completely different from water sourcing and water transfer and disposal because you have multiple landowners, right? Where in Lee County, it's not the case. So to answer your question specifically, you know, with disposal and kind of sinkholes and, and you know, trucking and logistics, and, and it's definitely convoluted because of, of these different geomarkets, I would, I would say that, no, definitely, right now the biggest problem with disposal that you're seeing is kind of the capacity um, some some of our clients, which we do work with disposal uh, owners, they first started, you know, disposing 10,000, 11,000 barrels a day, you know, rocking at 500 PSI. But now as, as, as the formation starts to, you know, be, become uh, heavily injected into the pressure increases and you start to have issues. So, you know, that to 2,000 to, two, 2, to 5,000 barrels a day and, and having 2,500 PSI downhole, right? So, um, there's there's a there's a large opportunity with finding alternative means to um, finding capacity of where inject that water, and yes, it is a, it's very true that um, getting that water clean to a specific um, parameter that it can be placed on in what water rivers and streams and also used for irrigation purposes is something that is very true. However, it comes down to cost. Mm-hmm. Um, getting it cleaned to where it's potable and are used for agriculture accepted. Um, it's expensive, right? So what we're seeing is is uh, creative and alternative means of how can we drill deeper um, disposals? Um, how can we find alternative means to utilizing this produced water so that it's still um, managed cheaply and it can still be used by operators both for fracking and also dispose where, where there's no other option. So, so let me ask you this, because um, yeah, that's, it's funny some of these things you're saying, because it's kind of some of the things that Josh had brought up uh, when we were talking. But one of the things I'm, I'm curious about is, so obviously the the water itself cannot be used to be, you can't drink it, obviously it'll kill you, but is there anything that the water, uh, fresh out the drill rig, can is there anything that it can be used for 
um, cooling a factory plant? Or is there any any use at all that we know of right now that you could look at as potentially a um, a market to sell this water to? Or is there just too many chemicals that it has to be refined at some level straight out the chute? Oh no, absolutely. The water in general is is you know it's a it's a commodity, so there's multiple purposes. Um, I would not. I would never discredit that produce water or, or water off of a drilling rig, you know, that's uh, water that you, you use, uh, resource water for drilling activities. Evidently, the amount of water used for a drilling rig is not the same for a frack, right? Right. You know, it's anywhere from 10 to 12-fold the more they use for fracking. But, no, there's definitely a use for water all around um, in, in terms of how uh, how you could use it for industrial purposes and also to use it within um, oil and gas practices, and when I mean industrial purposes, outside of oil and gas. So, for example, there's um, a, a project that I'm very that I'm aware of where they're actually creating um, large uh, warehouses that's being used to have data storage. So, basically, mm-hmm. imagine uh, a bunch of units that store data, and these uh, these uh, units storing the data they need to be cooled down. Mm-hmm. So, there's a, there's actually projects where they're using this water to to cool um, the, these computer units. Like just like a, a radiator, right? right? So, right. yeah, um, it's very innovative. Yeah, absolutely, and, you know, I was approached by another gentleman that said, "Hey, there's, we have an opportunity to clean this this uh, industrial water from that's you know for flow back that can't be disposed of. Clean it to a to a specification low enough or uh, acceptable for agricultural purposes. So now there's even people evaluating putting in certain types of timbers." So um, what I really have appreciated is the more tension that we've we've had. You know, I'm, I'm from Odessa originally. Um, water has always been an issue, scarcity, you know, mm-hmm. how hard it is in drinking. Mm-hmm. By the way, those of you who come to West Texas, um, there's plenty of fluoride in the water. So don't buy the um, don't buy the uh, uh, toothpaste that has fluorine in it already because it <laughs> actually you can have too much fluorine and then your teeth are brittle and then you'll be like half half of my, my friends out here with, with really messed up teeth, <laughs> including myself. So <laughs> no, um, yeah. Um, no, but that's a great question. Look, um, I think what's happened is there's a lot of uncertainty with mm-hmm. it, but um, I would not. I, I think that where there's problems and, and, and all it comes down to is infrastructure. Is the infrastructure that we have now, it's not sufficient to deal with the increase in activity, right? Right. So, as you have two things happening, you have more water demand, and you know roughly 40 to 60 percent of the water that you pump down hole doesn't come back mm-hmm. so there's a bottleneck there right so right. um i think that being outside of the water space you know the questions are very broad but once you really identify um how much water is actually being reused and how land and and and, and cotton farmers are starting to switch from agriculture to supplying water for fracking activity things start to get really interesting yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So one of the things I talked about um, before um, was this. I was at a meeting one time, and the mayor of the town was talking about the local aquifer and how the aquifer was being drained and basically looked at the citizens and said, hey, citizens, you guys have got to figure out a way to quit draining this aquifer. And then he began to, then he kept on talking, and he talked about the, how, how, much, how, how quickly the aquifer was being replenished every year, and he said that the consumers use X, and the paper mill used uh, Y, but Y was larger than the replenish rate of the aquifer by itself. And I kind of left laughing like, 
you know, hey, this is the problem created by the paper mill, and you want the citizens to fix it. Well, we can't fix it. Even if we quit using water, we can't fix it. Um, we've made it very clear on this show that we are, you know, free market people, and we, we think that, um, you know, usually government regulation, uh, it can inhibit stuff from happening. Um, but in this case, we also want to be aware of the local landowners. We have talked on here before about some of the water scarcity issues out there in the Permian Basin, as we as you mentioned you, know, you say the Permian Basin, that's a large area. So we, we, I know you can you can pick and choose examples as you please. Um, mm-hmm. But let's talk about water scarcity because you, you do hear this. There are companies out there um, that are doing this or saying, hey, Farmer, Farmer Brown, if you want to sell your water, we can facilitate that. How do we monitor, as oil and gas professionals, the usage of the water that's out there and to make sure that we are looking out for our neighbors and saying, you know what, we're using this water for a good cause for the oil and gas industry, but we're also not going to leave you high and dry where the, where the aquifers are tapped there's nothing there's nothing left for you guys so i think what you you touched on regulation right so mm-hmm. um you know there's there's counties in um, in the Midland basin up in county where you're kind of limited to the amount of of well that you can have per section right okay so um, if you, you take a geologist uh you sit down and you say hey okay I'm, I'm evaluating this field um i have this client they need x amount of barrels these here are the available sources we have, you know, 10 to 15 different landowners that can participate. These, these landowners uh, participate in cotton. These don't have any agriculture activity. Then you look at the regulation, you know, like I mentioned, you know, 12 to 15, you know, wells per section. Then you know you're limited in, in there, right? So mm-hmm. how do we how do we kind of in, in, in inject sustainability um, within that development? Well, we've been very fortunate to have, uh, up, upcoming new clients that have this mindset, right? Mm-hmm. So some of these, you know, you, you see small operators now, you know, you know, lots of private equity money coming in from Colorado, uh, New York. Um, you know, it, it, what we're finding is that everyone, everyone wants to be in the Permian, right? But mm-hmm. what we're really excited about is dealing with those small operators who are taking a sustainable approach and saying, okay, this is, these are the wells that we're, that we plan on developing. This is the water um, production that we estimate how can you guys help us ensure that we are that we are uh, re- recycling and treating, treating um, the most optimal po- um, uh, potential of water possible, right? So um, I think it really comes down to um, kind of taking an engineering and data perspective, uh, data analytics perspective to it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of been something that okay, you know, we need water here. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll just depend on, on our landowner. Um, okay, great. Now we'll, our water well consultant, uh, they'll come out and, and, and take care of this for us. And um, we, we include our water well consultants and the landowners in part of the conversation. But we take take a layer back and, and you know apply the data with the new data platforms coming out. You know, one that we were close closely with is Source Water. Um, you know, getting on GIS website and, and identifying you know what, what the regulations and which wells have been completed correctly and. Um, it's 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 stepping back and using the new resources that we have um, really help with the sustainable approach. Okay. So number one, being conscious of the regulation that's that's implemented, for example, like I mm-hmm. mentioned in Reagan County, and number two, you know, applying a, a less you know boots on the ground, only field view um, approach. Okay, so let me ask you this: We talked about the we talk about regulation, we talk about the companies. Let's talk about the landowners themselves. I'm sure some landowners are excited to deal with you guys. Some landowners aren't. Some landowners don't like each other. They're they're jealous of maybe what their <laughs> what their buddies doing. Kind of give us from that perspective what's going on. That's great. No, that's what I do. So, 
you know, like I'd mentioned, uh, being from West Texas, uh, growing up out here, you know, going and in, in, in hunting, uh, you know, hunting dove on, on, on some of these leases and, you know, people that I grew up with, you know, were friends with now are, are clients. And that, that's, that's definitely been really exciting, but also, uh, I'll tell you a story, um, just to kind of give you a perspective of what I dealt with. Uh, we're going to call this operator. I don't know. They just call them let's grass call it, petroleum. Let's call it Josh, so, Josh grass Shelton. Petroleum. What's John, that? Call it Josh Shelton. He's not here. Josh Shelton Petroleum. Cause he, <laughs> we can pick on him. Cause okay, he's not cool. here today. No, you're good, man. If Josh is going to start an EMP company, let him know. I think I can raise some cash for him. I'd really love to help him out. <laughs> <laughs> no, that'd be, that'd be great. No, but, um, um, so let's say Josh Petroleum, you know, he's, he's, um, and man, um, there's a landman, you know, who's kind of an aggressive guy that comes out and, you know, a few years ago needs to put some produced lines across, let's call this the, um, the B ranch. Right. So he ends up not able to find out who the landowner is says, you know what, we have to get these produce lines in order for us, you know, to make, make my employer happy. And, and unfortunately some landmen do go out there and, and put lines on, on, uh, on landowners properties without asking permission. So, mm-hmm. you know, then you're the landowner, you're, you're in your Ford, in your Ford pickup, you go out there and you find out that there's these lines going on. And of course you're upset because evidently you know that you missed out on some potential revenue of marketing your asset, you know, right. increasing the value of your asset. So uh, I've been in, I was in negotiation not too long ago, about two, uh, about a month ago. And it was a landowner who was really upset because someone had done this. There was a couple of produced lines going across his property. And it turned out that this operator planned on drilling 10 wells in the next year. And I helped a landowner negotiate a water deal on their property to the operator. And it was the funniest negotiation that I've, I've been in. It's been, it was very entertaining because uh, the operator said, okay, so how much did the water go, uh, the sales for? And the landowner says, what do you expect, 50 cents? I said, no, sir, I, no, I'm thinking, you know, no, 70 cents is fair. He goes, so then the landowner looks, we're sitting in a restaurant. He said, you see that guy over there? He's got plenty of water trucks. I can introduce you to him. <laughs> so, right. so he threatened them you know like you know that that price is definitely not what i what i expected but if you'd like we can haul the water onto the land because that's that's probably the most expensive so for those that are not familiar with the water space if you're trucking water to a frack then you're definitely not getting along with your landowner so so right. sitting in that negotiation and and listening to the you know the um the counter offers and the operator finally coming to agreement that's what we do right right so um, I feel I'm a big believer that most things that don't happen um, that should because of an ego and most things that should don't for the same reason. Right. Right. So it's really interesting having people internationally come here also internally, you know, people come uh, coming up from up North um, West Texas has a very particular culture in, in how it operates from water and land. So it was, it was really exciting for us to solve, help solve some of the problems of, you know, dealing with a landowner who had every right to be upset for something that was not done correctly. Right. You know, mending that relationship and 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 and, and helping them achieve both something that was beneficial to each party. So that's exactly what I do is, I identify what the landowner's current situation is, what their assets look like, um, how we can help them market and, and and not step on their shoes and what they got currently going on. Mm-hmm. And how we can help our clients uh, achieve their goals and operate under their budgets. And the website is Terra O F F. That's T E R R A O F F O F S dot com. 
Um, Jose, what anything else that you want to plug, promote, if you want people to connect with you before we get out of here? Because we have a lot of questions about uh, water. And you know, Josh and I, we, we, we've said, hey, we want to bring on some water people um, to help us with this and to kind of walk through these problems. We'd love to get you back on probably six months to kind of help. Um, you know, this is a moving you know, this is a moving issue, a moving target. You know, we look at producers and what they're talking about doing next year. Uh, I think there's $300 billion projected to be in the Permian over the next five years. This is going to be something we're talking about for a long, long time. So we'd love to get you back on. But until we do that, where can people find out more about you guys or connect with you personally or how, where do you want to send them to? Yeah, sure. So, um, no, we're all, we're all very approachable. Um, yeah, if you just Google Terra OFS, you'll see our website, all our contact information is there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm part of SPE here in Permian. So, um, through SPE Young Professionals, you know, we're always hosting events. We got an Oktoberfest on the 27th of this month that everyone's welcome to come out and drink some beer, meet some other, um, some other professionals in the industry. But yeah, just LinkedIn and, and our website's a great way to get to us, uh, get a hold of us. And, um, we're always here to help and here to share knowledge and, and, and how we can, um, solve the, uh, the water, the water issue here. Okay, great. Well, thank you again for coming on and hopefully get you on again, like I said, in you know, you know, three to six months and talk about what's going on then. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I appreciate it. I think what you guys are doing is great. And uh, thanks for coming, allowing me to, to speak. And again, um, um, welcome to West Texas, everyone who's new. 